When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. We welcome you along to Tuesday's edition of the uh, programme. John Paul, taking the calls at 1850-333-103. And let me start with just a quick couple of thank yous for fear that the show will get too busy and I won't get an opportunity to mention it. Post has arrived. And again, some of our listeners have been really, really generous in sending on donations for my trip to uh, Belarus on Thursday. And I just want to publicly acknowledge it and to say thank you to the people who've, who've taken time out. Some people don't want their name mentioned on air which is absolutely fine but I think it's summed up by one one of our listeners who sent on a donation and says please get something nice for the kids that you're going to meet and who have so little compared to all of us here in uh, Ireland. Thank you and that's exactly what the money uh, will be used for. It'll be spent in the main I hope on little treats for some of the children but if we come across some really needy cases or cases of children that may need medication or some kind of equipment we of course will uh, be sensible with how we spend the money as well but thank you people have been very very kind and very very generous and Mary Buckley in Rathcool who's a mighty woman she was in with a donation along with some gorgeous scones this morning that went down fresh scones they were hot when they arrived in so they always go down well here at the radio station but Mary has asked me to mention that she's organising her third annual tea coffee day for the Mercy Hospital Foundation she lost her wonderful husband in March of 2016 and since then in honour and in memory of her late husband John uh, she organises this tea and coffee fundraiser for the Mercy Hospital Foundation and it's happening next Monday which of course is the bank holiday, the May bank holiday uh, Monday from 10am in the morning in her house in Rathcool. Doors will be open at uh, 10 in the morning and she'll be serving teas and coffees and those wonderful scones that she brought in today and tea bracks and cakes and she'll be serving them all day long. You, you get an opportunity to pop in to Mary's house in Rathcool next Monday and to date would you believe from these coffee days that she's been doing she's raised 15,000 euro for the Mercy Hospital Foundation which is a staggering staggering sum of money so uh, good luck uh, Mary with that you are a very kind kind uh, person and last week just to give a quick mention to this last week on the programme I spoke with a lovely lady who Anne, Anne McGowan was her name Anne spoke to us she's with the group Cycle Against Suicide and they of course are going around the country and they talk about suicide on their journey and they raise funds for the organisation that is Cycle Against Suicide and there's about 200 odd cyclists 
and it works out at about 240 I think with backup people that come with uh, the cyclists and it goes on for about 10 days and it's a wonderful wonderful event but what they do is they go around the country they try to get host families to take a cyclist or if you've got two spare beds you might take two cyclists for the night when they're in your town give them a meal let them have a shower into bed, good night's sleep, breakfast in the morning and then they're off on their merry way on the next leg of the cycle. And this year Mallow is going to be the stop-off point, the only stop-off point in Cork for the cycle against suicide. And Anne McGowan joined us last week because she was looking for host families to open up their homes to the cyclists on Thursday the 2nd of May, which of course is this Thursday. She said they got a huge response from the greater Mallow area and they now have it tied down and they just need about 10 more beds. And if they get 10 more beds in the greater Mallow area, that means all of the cyclists and the backup backup crew will be fed and founded for the night that they are in Mallow. So she's asked me to give it another mention, which I'm only too glad to do. And if there is anybody who perhaps heard the interview last week and thought about that that was something that they'd like to do and then it went out of your head and you didn't make contact and you still think it's something that you'd like to do, uh, please contact them. You can email homestays at cycleagainstsuicide.com So that's homestays at cycleagainstsuicide.com If you could have a bed for the night on this Thursday in the Mallow or surrounding areas. I mean, you can be outside of Mallow once you'd be willing to come in and pick up the cyclist and bring them home uh, to your house. They would certainly love to hear from you. And don't worry about the bicycles. They have all the bicycles organised and they'll be locked up for the night so you don't have to. You literally are coming to collect the person who you're going to be giving a bed to for the night. So home stays at cycleagainstsuicide.com and good luck to everybody taking part in that event. And yesterday, just a quick mention to this. A couple of people had contacted us. It was Teresa kicked it off about a programme that was on TV on Sunday night and it's a programme to the first episode in a programme I think that goes on for five or six weeks. It's to find I think it goes on for five weeks because I think there's ten songs two songs each night. Ireland's favourite folk song. Lovely programme presented by Mary Black and I hadn't seen it but we got so much reaction yesterday. I did yesterday afternoon. I downloaded it and I watched it yesterday uh, evening. And it is a beautifully put together programme. But what con- what forced Teresa to contact us yesterday and then other listeners jumped in and agreed with our Teresa was to do with the version of On Raglan Road, the wonderful song written by Patrick Kavanagh as a poem and then, of course, immortalised forevermore by Luke Kelly. But Teresa and other listeners weren't happy with the particular version that was played on the show on Sunday night. And somebody said it'll actually work, actually work against on Raglan Road, which is a great song. And normally Raglan Road would do good in a competition like this. But based on that particular version of it, people felt, some felt that it would actually affect the voting of the song. So I did listen back to it. And it was sung by a guy called Conor O'Brien of The Villagers. And it was described as an intimate whisper was his version. And I think what they did was they left all of the singers to give their own interpretation and that's what it is and isn't that what music is about it's somebody's interpretation of it now I don't think it was as bad as what I mean we had people saying yesterday that the song was crucified and he murdered it and it was awful somebody said he sounded constipated and people were really really not happy with it at all it wouldn't have been my favourite version 
I, I would still say, as I said yesterday, it's very hard to beat the original of any of these versions and Luke's, Luke Kelly's version will, for me, always be the definitive version of Raglan, Row, uh, Raglan Road. So, yeah, it wasn't the best version, but I don't think it was as bad, as I say, as what, what other people thought. But I did think the second song, there was two songs on on Sunday night. The other was the Greenfields of France, which is a song I love. That version, I thought, was gorgeous. It was a singer by the name of Neve Farrell and Niall Hannan. Hannan. They did this gorgeous, delicate version of the Greenfields of France. Thought that was beautiful. Really, really uh, liked uh, that. Anyway, you do now get to vote online and there's two more songs next week and then it'll go on and on until all ten songs because it was voted by... Uh, members of the public were asked to vote in and they whittled it down to the top 10 songs and out there through a series of elimination and, and I think it's online voting again is how they will pick Ireland's favourite folk song but thank you to people who drew my attention to it because as I say I did miss it on Sunday night. Now coming up on the programme today in a couple of minutes we're going to be speaking with a Cork City councillor who wants a blanket ban on election posters. We are in the, can't quite say the middle of an election because we've nearly a month to go before we get to polling day on Thursday, the 25th of May. So about a month, just a little under a month left to go. And then the posters, of course, are allowed to stay up for a week after the polling stations close. And then if they remain up after that, they become litter and people can be fined. And no doubt in the weeks after the election, we'll be getting calls in from people saying there's a a, a rogue poster has been left behind. And normally, as soon as we get on to whichever candidate it is, they're very quick to go out and take the posters uh, down. So you literally have to put up with them. Some people don't mind them at all. They don't even notice them. Uh, Others absolutely detest them. And some people see them as litter, even when they're allowed to be up on polls. There's the environmental impact, particularly with the cable ties. But that will only really start to kick in when they go back to take down the posters if they don't remove the cable ties or if they do remove the cable ties and don't pick them up and they leave them on the side of the road. There can be all kinds of problems with those cable ties. I don't know during Storm Hannah at the weekend did any of the posters come down. I did see some of the councillors, particularly in West Cork, who knew what the weather forecast was like over the weekend and they were holding off putting up their posters because the posters were only allowed to go up last week. So some were holding off until after Storm Hannah. So I don't know if any of the posters came down. You would like to think that for the month of May we won't get any other storms like Storm Hannah but there is always the problem if we get stormy conditions that some of those posters will come down. So your thoughts on election posters would you like to see them done and dusted gone? I mean what this councillor is looking for is a blanket ban it would mean everyone would have to sign up and agree that we are no longer going to have posters. Posters are not the norm in other countries Some countries still do them. The majority of the European countries don't do posters. I'm open to correction, but I'm nearly sure that they don't do posters across the water in England. Don't know about Scotland and Wales, but I'm sure they don't do posters uh, in England if anybody wants to verify that. Does it make a difference to how you vote? You know, they, they say there's research there that we are we are influenced in some way by constantly seeing somebody's name and photograph. I honestly, hand on heart, don't know if I ever voted for somebody because of the number of posters they put up. I have a tendency to vote for the person rather than either the party 
um, and I try to do it based on what I think, particularly for outstanding, you know, our, uh, not outstanding, outgoing councillors or outgoing TDs. I like to kind of look at what has been their track record. And then if there's new people to the field, you know, what are their policies? What do they hope to achieve? And try to base my how I will do my one, two, three, four, five when I go into the ballot box. But hand on heart, I don't know. Have I been influenced? But maybe I have. Maybe somewhere in my subconscious, I have been influenced in some way by the election posters. Anyway, your thoughts on election posters welcomed. Audrey has already been on by WhatsApp to say, Patricia, I think all the posters should be banned for good. What a waste of money. And that is... That's the other side of it. How much do those posters cost? They're not cheap. And a lot of them are that corrugated plastic, aren't they? They're certainly not uh, cheap. For the bigger parties, I assume for local elections, do their parties chip in? Which does that give, a, does that give an unfair advantage to somebody maybe that comes from a large party that has the funding behind the candidates versus somebody who's running as an independent or somebody who's running at a smaller party that maybe doesn't have the same kind of financial clout as the louder parties. Anyway, your thoughts on the election posters, please. Garda numbers in the three Garda divisions. Do we need more Garda on the beat? Would you be more comfortable in your bed at night if there was more Gardaí based locally. Maybe you come from an area that once had a Garda station that is now closed. Do you think crime has increased in your area since the Garda station closed? Or there's the other argument that we were better off having the Garda stations closed and instead of having Garda stations manned, having those Gardaí out on the beat, out on the street out having visibility instead of being stuck indoors manning a desk in a guard station that perhaps very few people called to. It was one of the reasons and arguments for closing some of the smaller guard stations. Coercive control is something we're going to discuss on the programme today and this is a form of domestic abuse and I know whenever we do interviews like this I'll, I'll always be aware that there will be people listening to us that are living in abusive relationships don't know how to get out, don't know where to go for help to escape an abusive relationship. And if you're living under this coercive control, it can be very hard for people to identify it as abuse. And it came to light and we all started talking about it because of the murder and death of Clodagh Hall and her three little boys by their father and husband, Alan Hall. And it was only when Clodagh's mum and sister did that really powerful television interview where they spoke about the type of controlling relationship that Clodagh lived under with her husband and then coercive control started to get mentioned and a lot of people had never heard of this as a form of abuse and I'm sure even in life if you'd spoken to Clodagh she was probably unaware of the controlling nature of her husband and that seems to be the problem when you're living in a relationship like this. So we're trying to get to the bottom of it, trying to offer words of help and advice to anyone who may find themselves in that uh, situation and I suppose as well for those of us on the periphery, those of us looking in at a relationship like this, what can we do to help a loved one? And a community in West Cork has received the terrific news that they're going to be representing County Cork at this year's Bloom Garden Festival. It's a wonderful, wonderful achievement on behalf of Enniskeen, Ballinine uh, area. 
and we'll find a bit more about the garden that they're going to produce for Bloom. We will also hook up with a group of parents who tomorrow morning, bright and early, are going to be out protesting in Carrigtool and they're protesting. Carrigtool is one of those areas of Cork that has been rapidly expanding in recent years. Many more housing estates have gone in there, more people have gone to live uh, in the area. People live and work there. People also use it to commute in and out to uh, Cork City. So it's an expanding town and with expanding towns come expanding families. So that means there's more and more children living in the area and when you've more children living in an area you need more school places. Now it seems the Department of Education have identified Carrigtool as an area that needs more school places and they've put in a planning application into Cork County Council but there's been problems with the planning application so we're going to find out more about that uh, today. And then Joe Heffernan will join us after half past uh, 12 today and Joe is continuing to uh, discuss irrational thoughts. That and your cause and comments welcomes throughout the morning. This is the Court Today replay on C103. Uh, people are already talking about posters and I have to say so many people just do not like uh, posters. Uh, somebody says, I agree, election posters should be banned. I was shot last, last week when I drove past the county hall. I counted 24 plus posters in a row for one candidate in the European elections. One on every poll on the left hand side. I thought this was beyond excessive. And then I realised that the same posters were on the right hand side of the road as well. That simply is too many posters. And that's exactly what Simon was talking about earlier as well. He was talking about another candidate that had so many posters, uh, poll after poll after poll after poll. Okay, uh, Mary then was on to say, Morning Patricia, on the issue of politicians. I was in a cafe in Butterfant last week and one of the candidates running in the European elections came in looking to see would people give the number one vote. I didn't think it was the right place. The cafe was very busy at the time. Well, you know, if you've got a group of people together, I can absolutely see why a candidate would aim for a place like that. That's what they do, particularly for the Europeans, because it's very hard in the European elections to go door to go door to door and start knocking on doors looking for your number one. So that's what they do. They go to places where there will be large groups of people. They'll walk around shopping centres. Is always very popular for the Europeans. So I don't know why you were surprised uh, to see a candidate stop at a cafe in Butterfant. Fran says election posters are an utter scourge. They are political litter pollution. Now, I I need to get this checked and John Paul has asked me not to call out candidates' names until we can check this out for sure. But somebody has sent in a WhatsApp saying there were two posters inside the 50 kilometre sign across Barry coming from the Inishannon direction. And then there is another poster at the top of Inishannon coming from the Cross Barry side and those posters are all inside the 50 kilometre sign. Now we have a list of towns and villages that the local county towns group are, are remaining poster free. Even though as far as I know that's a voluntary code but most people 
stick with that voluntary code and don't put up the posters. This texter is asking that these candidates uh, remove the posters. We're just getting doubly checked that those are areas where that code is in uh, place. And Heidi says, Morning Patricia, do any of the people wanting us to vote for them really look like what they look like on their posters? Is there a lot of airbrushing going on? Then again, I always look at what the candidate stands for and what they will work on behalf of us when I go out to vote for them. Is another at all uh, to do with what's on the poster. Okay, I'm going to take a very quick break and then we're back discussing this issue with the Cork City Councillor who has called for the blanket ban on such posters. Cork Today on C103 with Walker Hearing Clinic in the Consultants Private Clinic at CUH. Hearing care and wax removal. See walkerhearingclinic.ie Painting or decorating? Well, your local Crown Decorating Centre has everything you need. They're all there. Crown, Santex, Sadolin, plus a huge range of painting accessories right on your doorstep. We're primed and ready with expert advice and we're super friendly. We even have a free colour matching service with over 30,000 colours. So call into our Crown Decorating Centres in Cork to find your perfect colour. Crown Decorating Centres. We're here for you. Attention, Del Forno shoppers. We've lost a child in the store. Could Sal please come no, to no, the... No, no, she's not a child. Give me that. Hi, Sal. I'm still here. My phone died. I checked in the timber flooring and laminate, the tile section, the bathroomware section. No sign. There's so much here. <laughs> Where are you? Lose yourself in great quality and value at Del Forno Tiles and Timber, Kinsale Road. Spot a bargain in the Debenham Spectacular event. Up to 30% off throughout the store and up to 15% off beauty, skincare and fragrance. Starts tomorrow online now at debenhams.ie. Hi, are you Mark? Yep. But I, I decide if I want to do 10 customers a day or maybe I will decide to do 30 customers a day. And to be honest, sometimes I can make in one day what I would make after a week working somewhere else. So I set my goal and it's up to me whether I'm going to achieve it or not. My name is Krzysztof Konieczny. Thanks to my taxi manual, I'm in the driver's seat. Find out more at drivers.mytaxi.ie. Record today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850-333-103. Election posters, you either love them or you hate them. And regardless of which side of the fence you sit on, you'll have to put up with them for at least another month. One Cork City councillor feels they should be a complete blanket ban on election posters. And councillor Ken O'Flynn uh, joins me to explain why. Good morning to you, Ken. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, And you're welcome. Now, you are a good-looking man. What's so wrong with looking at your smiling face for six weeks every five years? Well, Patricia, I can now retire from politics after getting a compliment like that. <laughs> 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 yeah. What time are you free today? <laughs> okay, why are you so against the election posters? Well, look, I'll be totally honest. It's, it's something that's never been come through with me. Um, I think they're a terrible um, eyesore in general. Um, we've had problems, in, my own team in, included, we've had problems where posters have slipped and they've blocked traffic signals or they've blocked signage. Uh, you have problems where it's it's offensive at times uh, wh- where they're put and it causes upset to people in the community. But there's a huge environmental impact on this as well. You're talking they're made of cardboard. It takes uh, a thousand years for them to decompose. At the last local elections, you could actually spill Croke Park ten times over with the amount of election posters that were printed on the island on the island of Ireland. Like that can't go on. And yes, some people reuse them. I, I'm reusing my own for the last. For the last two, uh, the last two elections, um, same expensive. picture, same, sure, 
Same, same picture and well done. Okay. Um, so um, it's it's the same poster that I used for the last uh, local election, you know. Okay. Uh, but look, I think in this day and age, there's a reality that um, we now have social media. I go door to door and I try and meet as many people as possible. I deliver a leaflet door to door. We have a, a, a call centre set up here in my constituency office on the Mallow Road where people are, are ringing and canvassing those that have been in contact with my office over the last uh, five to ten years. Uh, that's how I campaign. I don't believe in this modern day and age that there's a need for posters. I think they're bloody ugly. I think they destroy our countryside. They blow down in the storms. They're stuck in different locations. I know some of my colleagues have had posters in, in end up in the river. I think it looks ugly. Um, and I think at this stage... Well, a lot of our listeners are using the words littering. And yeah. we do know that a week after they count the uh, polling booths close they do then become litter in the eyes of the law, don't they? In the eyes of the law, they have to be done within seven days and we try to get them done. We we start uh, the night, um, what we did last year or the last election, what we did this year um, or what our plan is for this year is that the day of the election that that after the polls closed at nine o'clock, our teams will start going out and taking down the posters. Plus the ties, the poster ties, the cable ties. A lot of people leave the cable ties up and it looks hideous. But, you know, Patricia, if you look at what is happening in mainland Europe and areas, uh, there's signage um, approved for election postering. So you have the entrance of a town where every party can put up an election poster. Yeah. Um, you do have the likes of um, Devereaux's that are, that are uh, JC Devereaux's who have the major signs um, already in the city and the county. I don't think there's anything wrong with the parties taking two or three of those and putting up their election candidates, whether it's two, three or four or one, uh, and advertising on that. But I think in this day and age, it's about time that we change this. If you look at what's happening in the United States, where posters are not allowed on polls, people go out and they display their posters in their front lawns and in windows, and they use stickers, etc. There is a way of advertising for people if they want to advertise in that manner. But in, you know, uh, and you are right, I think, with social media. I think, you know, we, it's yeah. changed um, a lot. What's the general view, though, among other councillors? Are many in favour of what you're saying? Well, you know, my hope is that we can have a, a, a sit down and have an honest conversation as politicians. Now, I know that's a bit of an oxymoron when I use po- uh, the word honest and politicians together. But um, look, I think we do need to sit down and say, look, lads, it's, I don't think the public appreciates us going out there a month before an election and throwing up posters all over the place. Now, I believe there's 182 towns through, and communities throughout the country that have actually banned posters. Glanmire, I think Ballincollig, I think the centre of Blarney Village as well. Um, Carrigaline has banned posters as well. In, in Cork, uh, Sallybrook and Glanmire has banned posters. Um, and also the lower Glanmire community, community wrote to me and asked me not to put up posters as well, which we respected. Now, some, but some that, isn't, that, isn't that just a voluntary code, though? It's a voluntary Code. Yeah. But what I'm asking is that Cork City Council, that we sit down as all the parties and nuns sit down together and have an agreement between us that we will not put posters up in the new city after this election. And I think, you know, we have to be responsible to the environment. We have to be responsible to the city. And, you know, I've been on your show and I've been on various shows talking about littering and talking about illegal dumping. And to my mind, election posters, and I'm part of it myself, I have my posters up because it's part of the system at the moment, but I believe election posters are ugly and they are a form of litter. And is that part of the problem? You've got to, because, even though deep down you disagree with them, but because everybody else is doing it, 
do you feel that you have to row in and do I, I it? I do, and my, and my team, and we, we sat down, we, you know, I really disagree with the idea. Um, and that was kind of, I got involved with the Sean Gallagher campaign, the presidential campaign, many moons ago, because uh, his first presidential campaign, because of his stance on posturing during the presidential election. I agree with it. And I really do believe that we're dragging our heels, you know. There's a lot of politicians in Leinster House uh, playing lift service to climate change and talking about how we can have an impact and, you know, bringing down carbon emissions and all this sort of stuff. But like, here's something very, very simple that every politician could do, and it's not put up election posters. It's not buy these courier board posters and and have them up there that are that take a thousand years to decay. Uh, somebody's asking, how much do they cost? Um, I think a po- it depends how many posters are getting printed. Um, no, I didn't pay for posters this this year because it was five years ago. But I think it was, I think they were about five, six euros a poster. And when you say your team, are they all volunteers to go out and put uh, up the vote? Every every, I'll tell you now. Uh, in my campaign, I don't pay anybody because I couldn't afford to pay people. I'm very very lucky that I have six to eight solid people that are out with me every day and have been out since January with me every day that give up two or three hours of their time. And I'm very fortunate to have them and they're very good to me and they're, they're great advice and they keep you grounded and, and, um, and, and they keep you calm as well. And you, and you must be much loved if they'll climb up holes for you. Well, you know, and I do it myself. <laughs> I do it myself. <laughs> but you know, yeah, pe- you know, people give to people give to others, and you know, we're 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 a country of volunteers, whether it's in politics or community activity and things like that. But yeah, I, I'm very fortunate to have to have the team I have. I'm very very lucky to have. Okay, that. okay. Jack says, well done to Councillor Kenneth Flynn. I wish him luck with this. I hope he does manage to get in a blanket ban on uh, posters. Would it be extended to all elections? I mean, what you're talking about is trying to get. Well, no, I, what, I'm, what I'm looking for, Patricia, is that we have an agreement um, in the city and we have an agreement within all the parties because there isn't a, a legislation at the moment from, coming from Dublin, but that we would have an agreement through all the parties and none that local elections, general elections, presidential elections, referendums, that there will be no posters. Okay, all right. We'll we'll follow that one uh, closely. And I've just spotted on uh, WhatsApp. We put a call through, but uh, he's not answering his phone. Uh, Pat O'Regan, who is running as an independent first-time candidate in the Bandon Kinsale area, took the decision, even though it's his first time out, not to put a poster purely for the environmental uh, reason. He said there's enough rubbish out there already because that's one of the arguments. And I know the solidarity councillor uh, Fiona Ryan says that banning posters would benefit the bigger parties and the sitting councillors. I mean, does yeah. she have a point? I mean, if you are like Pat Regan, he's, you know, first time councillor, he's trying to get his name and his face out there. Yeah. But Patri- Patricia, like, you know, if you, want to, if you want to get elected to anything, if you want to get elected to a councillor, if you want to get if you want to get out there, you start talking about issues and you start getting out there and you, you put in the groundwork in your community. Like, you know, you asked me about my own volunteers. All my volunteers that are working with me since January are people that I've met throughout the community. There is, um, actually, I think there's there's one member of the Fianna Fáil party canvassing with me. The rest are all volunteers. You get out there and you get known from doing your activities on the ground. There is Facebook for there's social media. There's all different platforms of social media. There's putting out your leaflet and there's knocking on doors. And there's nothing like a personal touch of somebody knocking on your door and saying, look, this is what I stand for. This is what I believe. Would you consider me for a vote? Okay, and just very finally, Pat Imbala says, Patricia, forget about the posters. Do you know how much guff they put through my letterbox? That's from Pat in uh, Mallow. And somebody else says, ask Ken, what, what would he do if he got to a letterbox and the sign says no junk mail? Do you deem what you put through the letterbox? I don't junk give mail. out junk mail. 
junk mail. I know you, I know you don't give out <laughs> junk mail. So when you come to a letterbox, will you put it through the letterbox? I everything that goes that ha, that anything information leaflet that I would have in an information leaflet will always go through a letterbox. Okay, all right, and I think a lot of politicians um, do the same thing. Okay, all right, Ken. Listen, thank you for that, and thanks for joining Stop us then. on the program. Take Stop care. Uh, bye bye. That is uh, Cork City Councillor Ken O'Flynn. Eighteen fifty three 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 one zero three. Stephen and Kerry says to be fair to the Healy Rays. I suppose I've noticed in recent years that they've come out on the day after the election and removed all of their posters. Well, they're a gang who've got a great machine behind them as well. You can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With Walker Hearing Clinic in the consultant's private clinic at CUH. Hearing experts for both adults and children. See walkerhearingclinic.ie. Now, more than two thirds of Garda stations around the country have had no increase in staff over the past four years, despite over 2,500 new recruits joining the force. To discuss Garda numbers, especially those here in Cork, I'm joined by Sinn Féin's Justice Spokesperson, uh, Donica O'Leary. Good morning to you, Donica. Uh, you're, uh, you're welcome to the programme. Now, I suppose mixed news uh, for Cork. Um, a small number of Garda stations increased. Some stayed the same, but some actually saw a decrease in personnel in the last four years. Are we simply not training enough recruits? Well, there's two elements there. Yes, uh, but also, obviously, the several years where uh, there was no recruits after Finnafoyle closed Temple Moor uh, led to a complete halt in recruitment, which was, you know, a serious mistake. We're also not recruiting enough. Uh, this year, there's 600 being recruited, whereas uh, really that will only create a very small net increase when you take into account, uh, I'd say probably 300 perhaps or so net increase uh, when you take into account retirements and people leaving the force on leave and so on. Um, the... The numbers in many stations are falling and what you have is a dynamic where the larger stations are in some instances growing, not all of them. And the reason for that is, and this isn't necessarily a bad thing in and of itself, you're having an increasing specialisation. So you have things like the Protective Services Unit, which deals with sexual crimes and sexual offences, which is a very valuable thing in every Garda uh, division will have one of those units. But that's drawing people out from the core units. Uh, and those people are not really being replaced in those core units. When I say the core units, that's your ordinary Gardaí who are attached to a station, who are out in patrol night after night, who are uh, who are at the general work of, of, of crime prevention, crime patrolling and dealing with situations as they arrive. They're not being replaced. The community Gardaí who are dedicated Gardaí, who are dealing with uh, communities on an ongoing basis, often the very first point of contact, that's reduced by about 40% uh, in the last uh, eight years. So I think that we need to... We have one of the lowest ratios of Gardaí to population or police to population anywhere in uh, the EU. Uh, It's well, well below the average. It's... I believe that we need to be more ambitious. The government is talking about reaching 15,000. It's well short of that now. It's at about 12,000, uh, a bit above that. Um, but I'm not sure we'll reach its target of 15,000 in time. But I actually think we need to look beyond that altogether. I think we need to be looking at 16,000 and perhaps more than that. And then you add to that, we've had the cutting of Garda overtime. I mean, that obviously is having a major negative effect. Yes, uh, and... 
you know, overtime doesn't come about for no reason. Like, I mean, sergeants and superintendents sanction overtime because they want to cover ground because their stations don't have enough Gardaí to do all the police work that they need to do. The Gardaí are obviously spending a huge amount on overtime, but that's because they don't have the Gardaí on the street that they want to carry out the operations that they want, to carry out the checkpoints that they want, to carry out the patrols that they want. So if you were able to uh, bring in enough Gardaí full-time, including civilian support on top of that, then perhaps you might need that level of overtime. But you do currently absolutely need uh, to be, like, I mean, there shouldn't be any question of operations not being carried out because of a lack of money being there, particularly where there are key crime-fighting operations. Um, but, you know, whatever about the overtime, at the, to have a, a clampdown, a serious clampdown on overtime at the same time that you are not, that you've reduced the amount of Gardaí this year that are being recruited as opposed to last year, I think that is a mistake. I think that's a very significant mistake. Uh, and I think the Gardaí Commissioner has made the wrong call on that. Uh, and it's having an impact, you know. And, you know, at the minute, it, it, it's an issue in various towns right around the city and through to Mid Cork and West Cork and probably other areas as well that. Uh, you're having a lot of thefts, you're having a lot of burglaries, and very often it's not possible for the Gardaí to respond quickly. And we also, we also have the worry of, of organised uh, crime, and, and I know the rank and file uh, Gardaí, I mean, they're uh, this week having their annual general meeting and, and they're looking for more armed units to deal with organised crime, and, and they want it at every, di- at every division across the country. Absolutely, and like, I mean, you have, there's no, like, I mean, all the research shows Guard visibility or policing visibility is the biggest deterrent to crime. There are other factors, but it is the biggest deterrent to crime if you believe that you're going to be apprehended because you regularly see Gardaí around. Like, I mean, the issue in Drogheda, there is less Gardaí there now by, I think, over 20 than there was last year. There is less Gardaí than there is in Dundalk, even though it's a bigger town. So, like, I mean, Gardaí resources do have an impact now, like, I mean, we are calling for, and many others are calling for additional gathering resources to tackle that, but it should have been left come to that problem. We have the same issues in many urban centres where you have criminal elements uh, causing havoc for local communities. There is, the obvious solution is to ensure that they are the Gardaí there to deal with the problem. But, yeah, because it's the, guy, the, guy, the management say that they allocate increased staff based on crime trends and, and policing needs. So when you look at the figures for Cork and you see that three in, only three in ten guard stations increase the staffing levels, do we take it we have less crime across the three guard divisions? I don't think that's necessarily the case. The picture is different depending on the category. For example, sexual offences are up, robbery is up. There are other offences that are down, um, but it's not necessarily the case. In 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 most areas, we are we are dealing with relatively similar amounts of crime. But as I say, there are areas of significant increases, as I say, burglary and sexual offences. So these need to be tackled as well. And we have had a serious spate of robberies and thefts from cars and burglaries right across the country. Uh, so that needs a response. We also need to respond. We have a growing population. Like, I mean, take, for example, the town of Cargilline. It has more or less the same guards and staff as it has in 2014 or 2010. Uh, even though the population has grown by about 30% in that area since those were six census. So, like, I mean, when the population grows, when you have areas of rapid growth, then the guards and resources should accompany that. And as I say, the overall figures don't necessarily tell the story because 
if you have the specialised units increasing in their scale, and that's welcome and valuable because they have important work to do. If the people who, if the numbers that would be attached to a station that would be doing the general patrol work is down at the same time and they're not being replaced, well then, they aren't going to be able to get out and about, uh, apprehend criminals, prevent crime being carried out in the same way that they would traditionally be able to do. And they don't get to know the communities as well either. Uh, and that's a key part. Like, I mean, community yeah. intelligence, you know, and we would have all heard about the, the Gardaí in the past. And, well, the, and the towns and villages that had well. a sergeant and had so many Gardaí and everybody knew everyone. OK. All right, we're we're a long way away from that. Unfortunately, many people will bemoan that we lost that kind of community policing. I have to leave it there, John Listen, thank you for that. And thanks for joining us on the program. Program. Thank you. Good Bye. morning to you. That is the Sinn Féin Justice Spokesperson, um, Deputy Donica O'Leary, on the Garda figures in particular for the three Garda divisions in Cork. You're listening to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. I can see some commentary coming in on the election posters. It really has people uh, divided. I get to that in a moment, but I want to go to the phone lines because we've been contacted by Aoife, who is a paramedic from Charleville. Good morning, Aoife. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, you're welcome to the programme. Now, you've contacted us because you were... Were you working on Friday night when this happened? I was actually working on a day shift and I was coming off... Uh, I was about two hours off my shift, but I live that kind of distance from my home anyway. So I was just coming into my homeland of Charleville. Okay. Um, and I came upon an incident that had just occurred. It was a, ca- a car accident. It was a car accident. Yes, that's correct. So Aoife, the paramedic, kicks in and gets out of the car straight away. Yeah. Yeah. And back into action, back into work mode. <laughs> okay. And so, what happened? So what happened there okay, was that there was a car accident that went in over, in over a bridge and into a kind of um, a river stream of water. Okay. So it basically meant I had to go into that. Now, on that night, it just happened that the weather was extremely bad, if you remember. The wind was really bad. The was, rain was, was really bad. Was that Storm Hannah? Sorry? Was that Storm Hannah? Was that the night that was, of the storm? That was exactly it. Yeah, yeah okay. It. Horrible so, night. Absolutely devastating. It was like, I was so cold. I was absolutely freezing. Now, on this night, because I was after coming off duty, it meant I didn't actually have all the equipment I needed. Okay. So some of my equipment was still in the ambulance for the shift the day after. So this basically meant that I was short, a jumper, and I was absolutely freezing because the water was up to my knees. This lovely lady stopped and she gave me her jacket. And that jacket (laughs) saved me and allowed me to work on in my duties. Um, If it was my jacket, I would really appreciate it back. But since this lady gave me her jacket, I would like to do the right thing and give it back to her again. And obviously you're in work mode. You're not saying to this woman, give me your name and number there and I'll return the jacket. You just take the jacket, put it on you, thanks a million and get back to work. Yes, that's correct. Yeah. Okay, what can you remember of the lady, the very kind lady who gave you the jacket? Um, I remember she gave me her daughter's jacket who was actually in the car okay. and it happened to be too small for her. Too small for me, sorry. Yeah. And then she told me, she said, my daughter, she goes, wants to be a paramedic when she's older. And I oh. said, oh, fabulous. And uh, so she said, she's given me, she's given you her jacket, you know. And uh, so maybe that might twig a memory there somewhere, yeah, guys. Because yeah. there was another lady uh, there as well. And then I said, is there any chance you get me a, a bigger jacket? So I said, I actually can't work with this, it's too tight. And she got me this other jacket. And I was, you know, it took the pain out of my bones as such because it was freezing cold. And I was able to continue working. 
So describe um, the jacket. So it's actually a hoodie, okay, a black hoodie okay, with white stripes. Um, super cosy, <laughs> super life-saving for me. Um, so I would like to return this to the lady. I think she might be in the Cork area as such. Okay. Um, it was on Smith Road, Charleville. There was a couple of other people around there. Um, so it was just a car that stopped because they also saw the saw that somebody was in trouble, was it? Yes, that's yeah. correct. Okay. Yeah. So you don't think it was somebody from Charleville then? I think it might have been. Okay. I'm not too sure. You know, she was actually the one that actually made the 999 call to try and get the other reserves. Okay. Uh, the other reserves out. So she, like, if she made that call, she must have known the area such so to give the address. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think she might have been from Charleville. And yeah. this was about eight o'clock last Friday night, in the, right in the middle of Storm Hannah, when most people were indoors just looking out at the howling wind. Yeah. And it was horrible. It was a particularly yeah, horrible it was night. It actually 9.16. 9.16. <laughs> yeah. Okay, there As you go. You know, we have that, to be right with our time. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and Camille, tell us anybody badly injured in the accident? Um, I won't go into that. Okay. From a professional All point right, of view. All right, perfect. Okay. Okay. But, but, I, so, I but you, you, you stayed on. Until until the ambulance arrived on okay. scene, and then the patient was removed from the vehicle with the assistance of the fire brigade, and then you were able to get home. Yeah, yeah. Right, but that extended your day. What had you done a twelve-hour shift or an eight-hour shift? We'd done a twelve-hour shift, starting at seven in the morning, finishing at seven in the evening. So you didn't get to your own house till about, about ten o'clock. I got home about 11. Wow, God. Yeah. Oh, my God, you're, you're some woman. I'm telling you, you're, <laughs> uh, we have utmost respect for Thank the paramedics. You, you, you are incredible. Okay. So Thank black hoodie, white stripes, we would like to get it back to the rightful owner, whoever that lady is, if they make contact. And we have all of Aoife's uh, details uh, that we can pass on uh, to, uh, hopefully, if the, if the lady surfaces. She mightn't be listening herself, but she may have told the story to somebody else because it's kind of one of those stories you'd tell somebody and you'd be only too happy to say, I helped out the paramedic because I was able to give her my jacket. Okay, Aoife, we'll be in contact if we hear anything, okay? Thank you, And uh, keep up the great work. Thank you very much. Mind yourself. Bye-bye, bye-bye. Bye, bye. bye. Aoife, they're one of our super-duper paramedics. If, uh, it would be great. It would be just lovely to get that jacket back to that very, very kind lady who stopped helping out doing, and it's something we'd all do, isn't it? You'd, you'd take the jacket off your own back and hand it to somebody who is knee-deep in water trying to help somebody who has been involved in an accident. They get into all kinds of of really treacherous situations. And there she was. She was off duty, but still work mode uh, kicks in. She's incredible. OK, so if that rings a bell with anybody, give John Paul a call, please, and we can put you in contact with Aoife. 1850 Or you could text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Can I go back to election posters, please? Somebody says, Patricia, there are four posters for one candidate candidate inside the speed limit on the west end of Castletown Bear. Surely this is littering. It is ridiculous. Can candidates please, please bear in mind that some of the towns have, and it, it normally is the it's the tidy towns groups, isn't it, that they have. The last time we checked, I think there's 17 towns and villages have signed up to go poster free 
in the county and there's other areas in the city as well that we mentioned when we were talking with uh, Ken O'Flynn there's a lot of, of areas in the city as well that are poster free and I know that there's a, a poster free dot IE campaign and actually we spoke about that campaign I think at the start uh, of when they were trying to get people all over the country to to sign up it's a nationwide campaign to go uh, poster free but the areas that this is a piece from back in March late March there could be more towns in the area added on to this but this is poster free that's been designated poster free and what they mean by poster free it is within the speed limits of the towns the approach roads in you can put posters up, but actually in the town itself, candidates are asked, and it is voluntary, but the majority of candidates, I have to say, do abide by, by it. But it is a, va- a voluntary ban. But Bantry, Doris, Baltimore, Skibbereen, Dumanway, Clonakilty, Bandon, Balancholic, Douglas Passage West, Cove, Crosshaven, Ladiesbridge, Blarney, Castellines, Mallow and Castletown Bear. They were officially the towns that signed up to the poster free campaign uh, under that posterfree.ie that's not to say that they are the only towns and villages that are posterfree and as I say it is generally speaking it is the local county towns groups that get together and ask candidates not to do it because May we are into the voting for and the judging for the tidy towns and they can lose marks if some of those posters have fallen down or there's cable ties down around any of the poles so for that reason more than any other reason a lot of those towns and villages are asking please do not put up posters so we ask and as I say the majority of candidates do abide by it that's why I'm surprised to see that a candidate has put up posters inside the speed limit in West End of Castletown Bear because that is one of the towns that has signed up uh, for it. Now re-election posters says another texture at least they are taken down. What about council cones and council road signs? They're all along the roads and they're left there. Sometimes they're never picked up and nothing is done about about them. That's what I call real litter, says this texter. Council vans and lorries will drive past them and never pick them up. Our tidy towns groups can only do so much. They can be, and you're right, I think we've all spotted that when you're driving along. They can become a right eyesore if the cones and the signs, you know, the signs, the minute work signs are left behind long after the work is finished and then they get very dishevelled looking and they do look very unsightly and very, very untidy. Now, I don't know if somebody actually rings the council and actually pinpoints an area where there are signs and cones left behind. Do the council go out and do anything about it? I'm sure if attention is drawn to it. I'm sure they will send somebody out. Uh, Una says, Patricia, I counted about 20 posters all the way up Horgan's Key for the very same candidate recently. It's crazy. Wouldn't one get the message across? I thought the gentleman that you were talking to uh, who said that everyone should just have one poster and one notice in one area of a town or a village or an area of the city made great sense. That was Councillor Ken O'Flynn who wants a blanket ban on posters and he's saying do what they do in other countries where they'll have a designated area somewhere in the centre of town where you know there'll be a big area where people can put up a poster and everybody's allowed to put up one poster all posters must be the same size so that it's even Stevens for everyone regardless of what political party you're with or how much money you have behind you that would make uh, a lot of sense Una says what waste what litter and all on plastics and we're talking so much about plastics and these very large posters that go up on poles are made out of that corrugated uh, plastic what does it do into the environment uh, thanking you that is from uh, Una OK there's some of the texts in and I know John Paul 
took some calls on this as well. Pat in from Moy says, I think it adds atmosphere to the election. Oh, here we have somebody in favour of posters. I'm very much in favour of tidy towns and the posters must come down after the election, but it does give a sense of atmosphere and a sense of occasion in the run-up to an election. And Jerry in Mitchestown, posters get people talking about the election. Even though people may disagree, they notice posters and they're aware that there's an election on. The posters, Jerry feel, get people, gets people talking about election. So, uh, Jerry's point would be, if we didn't have posters up, would we even know that there was an election going on? And Jonathan in Middleton says, I was reading in the paper last week that many candidates are cutting back on posters and they are using social media more. But only 30% of adults are on social media. So let's face it, more adults and older adults are going to vote rather than younger people. Is that statistic correct? that only 30% of adults are on social media. I'll have to look into that stat. I would have thought it was higher than that. But I have seen that argument being put forward when you say to people, oh, we'll do it all through social media, that there can be an element of older people. Not all all older people, many older people are on social media and really enjoy it and get a lot of satisfaction out, out of it. But there are a percentage of older people, certainly, who are not on social media and they can't be excluded just because they're not on social uh, media. Uh, John in Bannon Hasick said, How are posters allowed? They are a distraction to drivers. Drivers are told never to keep their eyes off the road, yet people are looking up at these posters to see whose face is on it, what party do they belong to. Surely the Road Safety Authority would have an opinion on all of this. And Micah said, I haven't seen a politician since the last election, but they still have the gall to put a poster up in a poll at my entrance, obstructing my view, leaving my property. I had to remove the bottom poster as it totally blocked the view of my road. It was dangerous. But again, nobody called in to me. Nobody asked or said anything that they're putting a poster up right outside the entrance to his house. Wow. And I I take it they don't have to have permission because once they're within the time frame of when they can put them up, they're allowed legally. It's a week after they need to take them down. But if it's obstructing somebody's view, can I say, Michael, you were dead right to remove that poster. Uh, A disgruntled voter in Cork City says, I think this this came in by email, says people have nearly lost their heads as a result of the election posters on Bridge Street in Cork City. Storm Hannah did us a favour. It blew the posters inside out and we can't see their mugshots as a result. Well done, Hannah, I say, says a disgruntled voter in Cork City. And actually somebody else was on about a point that I put to Councillor Ken O'Flynn about putting literature through the letterbox because somebody was making the point that they don't mind the posters so much but what they do object to is all of the literature that's coming in the letterbox from all of the various candidates and I was asking Ken O'Flynn when he's out flyering an area and canvassing in an area and they don't always wait to talk to everybody you know they might just put a, a flyer through your letterbox or they might get they might pay people to go around and put flyers through your letterbox. I asked him that if there was a sign up saying no junk mail, would you still put the flyer in the letterbox? And he said that the information on his leaflets, he says it's not junk and that he doesn't deem it junk mail. So he absolutely puts it through the letterbox of everybody's house when he's canvassing a particular area. And even if there is a sign saying no junk mail, he ignores that 
because the information on his leaflet he's not he feels is not junk mail somebody uh, disagrees with that and says no politician should put a leaflet into any letterbox where there is clearly a sign saying no junk mail on the letterbox would other people agree and I and and I'm assuming Ken O'Flynn obviously was talking for himself and I'm assuming each candidate and each candidate's team will have a different view on that and I don't know have I, and I'm seeing it is becoming more popular if you're driving past or if you're walking around estates to see that sign up on a letterbox saying no junk mail please but I don't know how many politicians abide by it or do many politicians take Ken O'Flynn's view that the information on their poster is certainly not junk mail so he's you know well within his rights to put it through the letterbox but it's how it's received do people receive it as junk mail do you read it does it go straight in the bin if it goes into the bin and you're putting it into your recycling bin how do people feel but I would I'd love to hear from from households that have that sign up saying no junk mail are you still getting literature in from politicians? Are, are they seeing that you don't want it by having that sign up? Or would you be with Ken O'Flynn that when it says no junk mail, that's to do with flyers advertising businesses or trying to sell you something or your local takeaway sending out their new menu and that no junk mail, it does not include politicians putting flyers in your door asking for your number one vote. Your thoughts on that please. 1850 John Paul takes the cause. Text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. C103 Jobs. Experienced plumbers and electricians are wanted to work in uh, the Cork area while a painter is wanted for the North Cork area you need to have a full driver's licence and knowledge of operating a hoist. Healthcare assistant wanted to work in Oakland Nursing Home, that's in Cloyne. And the ISPCA are recruiting a full-time animal care assistant for the Equine Rescue Centre which is based at Drumsligo in Mallow. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Walker Hearing Clinic in the Consultants Private Clinic at CUH. Hearing experts for both adults and children. See walkerhearingclinic.ie. And we're getting some calls and texts in from people in the Castletown Bear area to tell us... That the Spanish Fest, which was due to be on, I think it's the June Bank holiday weekend, the Spanish Fest, Castletown Bear 2019 event has been cancelled. The organisers said it is with deep regret that we have to announce that there will be no Spanish Fest, Castletown Bear, this year. The organisers go on to thank the people of Castletown Bear for their support for what is a great family festival and it's been running over the last two years and they do hope that it will return in the future. And they're apologising to the members of the Spanish community living and working in Castletown Bear, uh, especially those that have already put work into uh, organising for this year. And they even already had posters in place. So that's a real, real disappointing news story coming out from... One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. 
You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Russell Tampere, because those festivals are so important both from a local point of view uh, but also from a tourism point of view so that's the Spanish Fest Castletown Bear not going ahead uh, this weekend this year 1850-333-103 now in February of this year the family of Clodagh Hall gave a very moving TV interview that outlined the coercive control which Clodagh lived with before her murder by her husband who went on to kill their three children before taking his own life to talk about the reaction to their power Testimony. I'm joined by the Chief Executive of the Dublin Rape Crisis Centre and that is Nolene Blackwell. Good morning to you, Nolene. Good morning, Patricia. And, and you're welcome. Now, many Thank people, you. I think, had been unaware of coercive control before Cloda's family spoke out. So can you start by explaining what it is? Right. So coercive control is actually a new concept in Irish law, in, which has really only come in in the past year. It started to be law at the beginning of January of this year. And what it is, is recognizing that domestic violence is often not just physical violence, or maybe not even physical violence, but it's a pattern of control, removing control from your spouse or partner, and uh, uh, taking away their capacity to operate independently. So it could be emotional abuse, it could be sexual abuse, it could be physical abuse, it could be financial abuse. But all of it is about recognizing where one partner tries to take over the life of another, tries to isolate them, tries to control their behavior in a way that is coercive. And in fact, It wasn't until this year that you could talk about that. Now, many, many people, including many of the people who will be listening to you, Patricia, will actually have experienced coercion in their relationships. They will know, in fact, what it is like to have somebody criticizing you, um, abusing you, threatening you, um, even threatening to hit you or threatening to rape you. Um, And all they have to do is that in order to make you do what they want you to do. But it wasn't illegal. And then this year, because Ireland was anxious to ratify a a Council of Europe Convention Against Violence Against Women, we brought in a crime of coercive control. And that started a conversation going that the family of Clodagh Hall were able to come forward because I remember one of the things that that her mother said in in that interview uh, when she was talking about the control element and and she was speaking about um, Alan Haw the husband she said he had this silent present he could stand five foot away but you would know that he was in control yeah 
and so and and that was her perception and i suppose we weren't talking about it enough so and and there actually the problem or i suppose what we're noticing now because we're seeing it in the context of people who are um calling us about sexual violence about sexual assault or rape that happened to them and what what they're telling us is they're not coming out and saying, I'm in the situation of coercive control. What they're saying is, I now recognize that I'm being made to do things that I'm not happy with doing. Like we had a woman contact us. We run the National 24-Hour Helpline. That's there for everybody throughout the country. And a woman on that line just said, he didn't have to hit me. He didn't have to rape me. I knew he could. And therefore, I did what he wanted me to do. And I think we are more conscious now that that's wrong. You can't quite put your finger on it in the same way that that, that, that conversation around Eleanor. You couldn't put your finger on what was happening. But somebody was abusing their power over another person in an intimate relationship. And, and it's always wrong. But it wasn't always illegal. And now it is illegal as well. So it's a really, so, so Clodagh Hall's family have done a, a magnificent job in reminding us of the, the threat and, of, of the threats and abuse that can be associated with domestic violence and making us recognize that part of that is non-verbal often, um, and it's not actually physical. It's a whole range of things. It's a whole pattern of behavior. Now, there hasn't been... There hasn't been prosecution of it, really. Yeah, and that, that, that was going to be my next question. Yeah. Because it's non-physical, non-sexual, even, even non-verbal, is coercive control hard to prove? It's going, it's going to be very hard to prove. And even where it is in place for a few years in England, they've still only had a few hundred prosecutions. Now, that's a lot of prosecutions. Yeah. But in the scheme of things, given the number of people who suffered, it is going to be hard to prove. So what people are going to have to be able to show is a pattern of behaviour over time, which, taken all together, is coercive control um, and we will get used to it I mean we will learn how to understand it better we learn how to prosecute it over time so the setting of the legislation was only the first thing and it's probably too soon yet Patricia like it's only the end of April and setting up a pattern uh, and, and having that pattern recognised is probably going to take time for complainants, for, for victims of the coercive control. It's going to take them time to gather the evidence of what's going on. But it's like a whole lot of things. If there's a whole lot of crimes like that in some ways. Blackmail. Uh, there's, there's all sorts of intimidating behaviour. Grooming. It's rarely one instance that uh, accounts for these things. So you have to... So the, so the guardy, the police know how to collect evidence of patterns of behaviour. And over time, we will start to see it being prosecuted. But even before that happens, what is good is where people, where, where we're literally hearing from people who are saying, I'm unhappy with what's happening now, uh, and I recognize I don't have to put up with it. So people, you know, can vote with their feet to some extent, get help, get help in the relationship, get help to limit or take away the abuse, 
even without the person being prosecuted. And that's why I think it's important that a Cloda Hall family are talking out about it and that you're giving me the opportunity to talk about how it does happen in relation to rape and sexual assault. We are hearing from people where it is happening and we're hearing from people who are saying, I'm uncomfortable, I'm unhappy, I don't want it to happen, I feel threatened, I feel wronged and hopefully go and get help for themselves and perhaps even limit the abuse uh, before it even needs to be prosecuted. And actually, I was I was watching that story. It, it, it's in the papers today, but it made the news yesterday of that very brave young woman, yes. um, Annie Lafferty, who came out who had been raped by her, her father. Such a shocking case. Yes. But, but the judge in that case said the attacks uh, on his daughter was coercive and depraved. I mean, coercive was mentioned. Yes. And so, so it is, we're starting to use it as a term to explain that bigger picture where people abuse their power in a number of ways. And of course, the coercive power of a parent over a child is absolutely huge as well. Um, and, and, and often, you know, and, and the child will know no different. Uh, will, will not know it, it could be otherwise or that it's otherwise in other places. So that, that abuse of power is, is so serious um, uh, that, uh, that it's, it's not only great that it was prosecuted um, and that the, the abusive parent was convicted, but that the, the, the woman, the young woman who is the victim of the abuse was able to say, and I can talk about it because I know this was not my problem. It was his problem. Of course, he caused problems for her, but she is great. Uh, and and it was an imp- I think that was another important thing. Yeah. Is, is, is that a look- very difficult decision for somebody like Annie Lafferty yeah. to, to waver their anonymity yeah. and you come out and face the press? They're, they're the utter heroes. Yeah. Uh, people, well, I actually anyone who challenges, sometimes, you know, Patricia, all people are going to be able to do will be challenged within their own family because if ever anyone who reports sexual abuse, rape within a family situation is likely to be disrupting a whole lot of relationships within that family. And it is very, very, very brave of them to do it. And I think people uh, are, have to be commended who are able to do that and recognised as true heroes. But it is through speaking out that other people will speak out. It is happening more now. And I do believe that it's because some people have already spoken out that other people can see the value in speaking out for themselves and for others. But they are some heroes, the people who challenge the power over them and speak out who go through a very difficult criminal justice process in order to get to a stage of a conviction and who are then prepared to, to recognise there's no reason for them to be anonymous Absolutely, they have done absolutely. Wrong. and even for us to be talking about it I mean whenever I think of talking about you know topics like this on radio um, Lavinia Kerwick uh, yes. comes to mind I mean up to Lavinia and her powerful interview with the late Jerry Ryan we would never have been talking about rape on, no. on radio no, we, 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 we would not, we did not, and she paid a price for yeah. it in her own community as well, as she would often say, where she was asked to let it go, asked to shut up, asked to drop the prosecution against a nice person. She had all of that to cope with, and she changed the law. She is definitely as well. She was 
the first of those heroes to speak out and she remains committed to ensuring that the law is improved for those who have to go through the criminal justice process uh, and the more the more that do the more we recognize it's not something that they did wrong. There is no reason why they should be ashamed and there is every reason why the person who carried out should be ashamed and should not be entitled to the benefit of anonymity. Now, sometimes that that simply won't be an option for people, but in some cases it will. And I do think the fact that women are coming forward on a regular basis to say, I was raped, I was abused, somebody abused their power and abused the law to do that to me, uh, the, the more, the more it, we will out the hidden violence that is sexual violence. And that's going to be part of the solution as well. OK, and the listener is saying for a husband and wife relationship with coercive control, where do you go for help before it gets worse? So, so the very first thing I would say is that there are there are two confidential helplines that I would suggest people uh, go to either one of them, either to ours, which is mainly focused on sexual violence, or to Women's Aid, which is mainly focused on domestic violence. And people can get extra information from there about what to do next. So I'm going to hand over my number first while I look up the Women's Aid number again. I, yeah, I, <laughs> but, and I think I have it uh, here as yeah, well. But, so uh, so I have uh, the Women's Aid number. Uh, it's one 800 Exactly. And on, uh, the, the sexual violence helpline is one 800 88. And both of those will just give people an opportunity to talk a little bit about it and see what their options are and maybe move it forward because it is true. You do need to know what your options are because it's a really tough situation. It's an awful breach of trust, yeah. really, when Shocking. a partner does that. Shocking. Yes. A pleasure as always to talk to you, Nolene. Thank, Thank you for that and we'll talk again. Thank you, uh, God bless. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That is uh, Nolene Blackwell, who is the Chief Executive of the Dublin Rape uh, Crisis Centre. And don't forget, we've got some wonderful local organisations as well the Cork Sexual Violence Centre they have a 1800 number as well 496 496 we've got Yana in North Cork doing amazing work um, you are not alone in the North Cork area 0225 and the West Cork Women's uh, Project they have a free phone helpline that I'm sure operates between 9 and 5 1800 203 136 and they also have a no 027 number 53847 but if you find yourself uh, touched in any way by that interview or you identify with anything that's going on please please make contact there is help available 1850 Just some reaction coming into Nolene Blackwell's interview on coercive control Pat says uh, Patricia to anyone with uh, an ounce of sense they could clearly see that Alan Hall who went on to murder his wife and three children that he had mental health issues and was in need of a lot of medical help some of what Nolan Blackwell said today is true but an awful lot of it is best left outside the door says Pat I don't know if you when you say leave it outside the door brush it under the carpet I mean that's exactly what was wrong with this country and why a lot of that abuse was allowed to continue because too much of it was left outside the door and too much of it people uh, wouldn't uh, talk about so I hope that that's not what you're saying uh, Pat maybe I'm picking up your text wrong 1850 333 103 keep your texts uh, coming in and I will get back to them but I want to move on to a different uh, topic because a picture postcard garden 
based on the 1900s garden of a renowned playwright and director of Dublin's Abbey Theatre, has been chosen to represent County Cork in the summertime Bloom Garden Festival. Joining me with details from the Ballinine Enniskeen Development Association, I'm joined by Gronia Bagnell. Good morning to you, Gronia. Good morning, Gronia. Hello. Good morning, hey. Gronia. Can you hear me okay? Yes. Okay. Hi, Sorry. I, I, good morning. You're welcome to the programme. Uh, firstly, congratulations. Out of 280 applications, your garden has been chosen to represent Cork. Tell me about the process and getting to this point. So we are part of two small villages uh, linked together, Ballinine and Eskeen in West Cork. And we're involved in a regeneration of trying to get more people to stop and shop and um, engage locally. So Bloom in the Park 19 um, put out a request to um, all over Ireland to participate in a project called Postcard Garden. And um, they received 250 applications back, of which there were 14 prizes given. The prize given was to present a three by two metre garden of a local historical or um, point feature in your villages that would draw attention to the historical heritage, flower, whatever you came up with. Um, And as part of our regeneration group, we identified a fabulous um, playwright called Lennox Robinson, who was born in Cork, lived in three stately country houses, one in Kinsale, Douglas, and in his later um, years came out to Ballymoney in Ballymene to live. And it's really where he started his writing career. He since went on and became playwright, um, author and manager director of the Abbey Theatre in Dublin for 50 years. OK, so um, so it's his life and times you're kind of, you're, you're trying to remember in the garden and you're exactly. trying to, you're trying to recreate what the garden would have been like when he lived in, in Ballymoney, is, is that the idea? Exactly. His mother, he was a, his mother was a director and his mother was very passionate about gardens. And when he looked out the windows of his home, he imagined all these wildflowers and all, um, how the bridge he crossed with the old railway train that was there. And he took the walk with his brother and sister over. So in our garden, we've invited a local artist to um, make an artist impression of that bridge, what the railway would have looked like. We're building it up his bench outside the house where he would have wrote in his books and to start his plays and all full with wildlife and flowers that are attributed to West Cork and of our region. And then to highlight the arts and cultures and gardening, how it's so important to engage and spend time there for all the reasons we know um, that are so beneficial. And then on the end of June, we are going to perform one of his best-known plays. This is called The White-Headed Boy, and that's going to be staged at the house for people to come and view the garden and has at the end of June as part of the local community festival. Oh, it's absolutely fabulous. And have how many is involved in, in putting this garden together? So we are, we're a very small, but it's even Tidy Towns, so it's Ballinine and Esteen Tidy Towns group. It's the BIDA community and it's the historical local heritage group. So we're a team of about 12 with representatives of all the groups pitching in. And Lennox Robinson was a great um, advocate for amateur actors. 
So, of course, we have the great Ross Moore Theatre just down the road. Yeah. And instead of taking real actors from there, we took the producer, Nora Scannon, and we asked her, would she come and help us and cast local people that had no acting experience but were prepared to learn their lines. And she um, stood up to the cause and she thought it was wonderful. So she's now helping us out to produce this fantastic play, The White-Headed Boy, which will be shown with the garden that will be taken from Bloom. So if your listeners like to visit us, Bloom in, in the park in Phoenix Park is happening from the 30th, the 30th of May to the 3rd of June. Yeah, it's the June bank holiday, isn't it? It's always exactly, on. Yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. So get in touch with us and, and come and visit us there. We have lots of produce in the garden, even for your younger listeners. And then if people want to come and see the play and see the garden, also come out and visit us the last weekend in June, part of the Bida Community Festival. So if you link into any of those uh, websites, Facebook pages, the local parish, um, Tom Hayes will have all the information for your listeners to find out more details about. And it's it's wonderful that it's a you know it's a community, a little community uh, coming together. Have any of you ever designed a garden before? Well, <laughs> well, I myself, uh, for those of your listeners that know me, I was involved in in education and spreading the word about population dying and how important it is to nurture outside. So I did that on a on an educational outreach program. But for our um, natives, we pulled in experts who like garden and design. And people that are just really interested in the arts and cultures and how we could display this and use it as an example for our villages to find their belonging and for the young people to have a sense of belonging that they don't always have to go to the towns and cities to do their shopping or to do their activities, that we can do them very much at home and be part of a community because that's what we need to develop our community and keep them strong that our post offices remain open and our shops remain a little bit open and, and community and people get out and chat and connect and talk to each other rather than this all, you know, online shopping yeah. is great yeah. and going to the big centres is great. But we, we need to kind of, I think, look after our elderly members in our community and we need to engage our younger people away from maybe not so much time on devices and then by doing collective projects like this there's an interest for everybody to get involved in. Well it's fabulous congratulations and uh, to everybody going to Bloom keep a lookout for it because it's going to be an absolutely stunning garden listen we leave it there Gronya thank you for that and thanks for joining us on the programme today bye bye Gronya Bagnell there who joins us in the Ballanine Enniskeen Development uh, Association You're listening to Cork Today on Replay Phone and text lines are currently closed a lot of commentary coming in. Uh, where will I begin? Let me go to the posters uh, first. People still talking about uh, the posters and that then is leading on to a discussion on litter as well. Firstly on litter, Una says, Patricia, talking about litter. I find it so sad to see en route from Yall to Cork and on the return journey, the amount of litter in the ditches all along that particular stretch of road. Nearly every foot of the journey had litter. Do the local authorities go out into these areas and clean up? I suppose they don't have the staff anymore. Maybe that's the reason that they don't clean it up. Of course, the 
glitters shouldn't be there in the first place. This is the main archery from Ross Lair. We are a holy show. Same applies on the road to Blarney and Limerick etc. Plastic cups, bottles, fertiliser bags everywhere. It is so sad to see. The tidy towns people can't do it all. I often see bags knotted and then eventually they're opened and they spill out everywhere just spreading the litter all around the area. Um, an example of this is a half a mile outside of Middleton recently. Obviously litter was dumped in plastic bags and then birds, wildlife ripped the bag asunder and the, the rubbish goes everywhere. We are filthy and we're so reliant on our tourists. It is not the image that we should be putting out there to uh, people. It is really sad and you're right. Tidy towns can't do it all and as is often mentioned on this programme because I am, they are the unsung heroes, our tidy towns, men, women and children who go out and clean up other people's rubbish. They do the most amazing work but as is often mentioned on this programme what would happen if we didn't have the volunteers within the Tidy Towns group if Una is describing how bad it is now with the Tidy Towns groups trying to do their best take the Tidy Towns group out of the equation goodness me how dirty would this country uh, be Okay, let's go back on election posters. Dan says, it's the election material that the postmen and women put through your door for every single person in the family who is eligible to vote. That certainly should be banned. One per household surely is more than enough. It's a scandalous waste of money and it's not environmentally friendly, says Dan. And you can have a household that can have five or six people all with the vote in, in the family in, in the household that's becoming more common now with lots of older children who in previous generations would have moved out and either bought their own place or would be renting and now they're not able to afford to so they're still at home with mammy and, and daddy so you could have you know five, six, seven votes in the one house and each candidate will send a, a piece of material for the, for the person to read and I go back to how many of them are actually get read in most households, a lot of them just go straight into the bin. Hi Patricia, when private businesses want to advertise themselves, their companies are their wares. What do they do? They have to spend their own money to fund any type of an advertising campaign. So until such time as those politically motivated people are only allowed to use their own money, not political allowances, not any donated funds, but straight from the individual's household finances. That's the only time we'll stop all of these posters and literature and money that's spent on election paraphernalia. Them sheep will turn into lambs, says this texter, once they look for money from the real boss of the house. So until then, there will never be any real Change, says a texter to 0862103103. Someone else, oh, this is Baz in Bantry, says Patricia. Hope all is good with you. It is. Thank you very much. Is it not illegal to put up posters in residential areas as I thought it was? Just wondering. And I don't know is the simple answer to that. And I saw your text come in. I did a quick Google search, got onto Citizens Information, who are always a mine of information. And they have a piece about election posters. Now, it's general election posters, but we take it the same rules apply for general election posters, local election, Europeans and for presidential elections. 
and they say that under the laws, the law forbids the erection of posters or signs on poles or other structures in public places unless you've written permission of the owner of the pole or other structure in advance of putting up the posters or the sign. Posters are only allowed to be erected for a certain specific time period before an election and that's the 30-day rule and then you've got a week to get it back down um, afterwards and if you don't, there's an on-the-spot fine of €150. So we're within that period of the 30 days before the election to erect the signs but it doesn't say anything about residential areas so I don't know so we'll put it out there to any of the candidates listening who may know the rules and the regulations regarding the erection of signs but just can you be careful where you're putting up the signs because we are getting people saying we had one listener earlier who had to go out and remove the lower down poster that was put up on a pole outside his house because it was blocking his view as they were trying to get out of the driveway. So for people to please be careful when they're erecting the signs. I know a lot of people have their teams together. Others will employ companies to do it, but you just need to be very careful. And I'm assuming if you go back to a candidate and say that that particular sign is causing problems, I, I'm, I'm assuming they will take them down. Will they? Has anybody managed to do uh, to do that? Now, Cross Barry, this is where we got um, a text in earlier from somebody saying that there was election posters inside the speed limit of Cross Barry. And we were trying to find out, was Cross Barry one of the areas that was poster free? Because it wasn't on the list of posterfree.ie. But I did say that's not to say that they don't have... They they don't have a um, a view in place that they don't want posters in Cross Barry. So John Paul has contacted the Cross Barry Community Action Group and they've come back and say Cross Barry hasn't officially gone poster free, but we were hoping that common sense would prevail when placing posters near junctions and road signage. We would indeed appreciate if the candidates and their volunteers would expect respect the road user, users and residents in the area. This is indeed an, an issue which the Cross Barry Community Action Group will be discussing in depth in the future. So they don't have an official ban on posters but asking people please to use their common sense. And then Kale Kill somebody got on to us from Kale Kill Margaret, thank you Margaret, to say unfortunately one of the candidates has put up two posters inside the 50 kilometre limit and two on the 50 kilometre sign in Kalekill. So we got on to Kalekill and Kalekill say the posters are within the 50 kilometre area and the candidates agreed that they would avoid doing so in order not to diminish the work being done by Tidy Towns and to show respect for the work carried out by the group of volunteers. So whoever has those posters up, can you please toodaloo along and get rid of them and move them on uh, please because it is it's for all of the people who put so much work in, into for the tidy towns and it's just unfair because the judges are out and about and they could lose marks and it could be the difference between a town or a village winning a top prize and losing out and it would be very very frustrating if a town or a village lost out on a top prize in the tidy towns competition because of somebody putting up posters or putting posters in the wrong place or not securing the posters properly. So please be very careful on that. And th- and we spoke earlier to the lovely uh, Aoife, who's a paramedic from Charleville, who's trying to, we still haven't tracked down the owner of the jacket. She was out helping somebody who had been involved in a car accident last Friday, the night of Storm Hannah. And she pulled up and it was a rotten, dirty night and she ended up being knee deep in water trying to help the person that was 
injured in the car accident and she was frozen to the bone and some people pulled up to help out and one lady in particular who she thinks was the lady that dialed 999 to get more ambulance support for Aoife gave her a jacket it's a black hoodie type jacket with white stripes and obviously she was tending to the person who'd been injured in the car accident so she wasn't taking out pen and paper to take down name address and telephone number of the very kind lady who gave her the jacket so she came on in the hopes that by us calling it out that we might find her. We're still looking for that uh, lady who was travelling with her daughter and her daughter, she said her daughter actually said she wants to be a paramedic when she grows up. So that might, that might trigger somebody's memory or you may have heard somebody talking about stopping in a car accident and chatting to the paramedic. Somebody may, they, they may not even mention that they gave a jacket but maybe that they did. If it rings a bell will you make contact because Aoife would really love to thank the lady in person for her kindness but she also wants to return the jacket which is which is a nice thing for Aoife to do uh, as well and we have Aoife's name and number on file because we, because we think the lady may be from Charleville because the accident happened on Smith's Road in Charleville at, at 9 about nine o'clock on the night of Storm Hannah last Friday night. So if that anybody rings a bell, let us know, uh, please. But that's prompted somebody else to contact us to say, would you please say a big thank you to an American nurse? We unfortunately don't know her name, who came to the assistance of my son when he collapsed in Sliced. Sliced is a pizza restaurant. And also, would you say thanks to all of the staff there? And thank you to everybody in CUH who is looking after him now. So I'm sliced the pizza restaurant. I don't know if that's in the city. It's it's not a restaurant that's on my uh, radar, but wherever it is, to the staff, thank you. And that American nurse, I don't know whether it was an American nurse on holidays or is it somebody living over here, but uh, thank you on behalf of the family of the young man that you helped out and can we offer and wish continued good health uh, to that uh, young man and thanks to Mammy for sending on that uh, text. 1850 We were talking about coercive control and uh, abuse in the and domestic abuse in the last hour. That's prompted some commentary to come in. Pat in from says morning Patricia on coercive control. This would surely include the insidious practice of parental alienation i.e. The brainwashing of a child by a custodial parent for the purpose of destroying the bond between their children and the non-custodial parent. This is destructive for the child and the targeted parent and has now been listed as psychological child abuse. Hopefully the Irish government will be more efficient in addressing this than they have been in addressing child abuse issues in the past. Yeah, And unfortunately it's an issue that, that goes on and when you get two people who were once in love to the point that they decided to have children together and then it all goes horribly wrong for whatever reason and then the children get used almost like pawns in the middle of it and it is, you are right, it is very uh, very uh, destructive for the the children all I can say because I sense from your text Pat that you're in that situation is don't give up on your children don't, you know keep that bond, work on that bond because I think eventually what happens particularly if it's a lot of brainwashing and a lot of lying that goes on, eventually the child will get to see what's really 
going on and hopefully you will be able to build the bridges and mend all the hurts that happened over the years and get back on track and get a relationship going but never give up on the children never ever uh, give up on them Dan says what about men that are also beaten and find themselves in these controlling situations we can also get uh, verbal abuse men also need to be spoken about when it comes to this topic it's hard for men to speak out and it can and has driven uh, many of them to have problems with their mental health uh, issues and that's why the group of men who deal with men who live in abusive relationships and we've certainly on this programme uh, dealt with this in the past I... I I will be, I'm not saying that it is 50-50, the amount of domestic abuse that goes on, that it's 50% against men, 50% against women. I don't know what the statistics on it, but absolutely. There are men who, who live in abusive relationships and they are abused by their wife or by their, by their partner. And course of control, it can be course of control as well. And course of control, there's something very sinister about course of control because you can't see it. It's it's how many times would I over the years have dealt with somebody who had been, you know, psychologically abused, verbally abused, financially abused, but never physically abused and would have heard that man, mainly women, but I've spoken with men as well, not necessarily on air a tendency to deal with a lot of men off air on this subject they just I was going to say they're not brave enough because they are they are very brave men but they're afraid to talk out about it because men are seen as being weak if they're going to admit that they're being, bu- being abused by a little slip of a female and they find it very very hard to deal with that but how often have I heard a woman say I would have preferred if he had hit me I'd have a bruise I would get over the bruise but this psychological abuse and this course of control that is now now technically is on our statue uh, books. And Mary actually was uh, contacted us. She said she has a friend of hers who's living with a very controlling husband. Now this definitely sounds like course of uh, control. Mary's friend has often said that she would much prefer if the husband hit her as people would be able to see what's going on in the relationship and would be able to see what this man is capable of. What he is doing now is 50 times worse than if he gave her a black eye. She walks around on eggshells all of her life because of the course of control on which she lives. People can't see the mental abuse that is going on. We have a tendency to focus on physical abuse, but there is so much mental abuse uh, going on. There is indeed. Okay, and this is an email in St. Patricia, your interview about course of abuse takes me back so far and still sends shivers down my spine. Getting married very young and pregnant, I fell into a life I never wished for myself. If I'd said then that I was being controlled, I knew I would have been locked up as being deranged as my husband was a delight to everyone. He controlled my life financially, physically and eventually sexually because he could. I froze every time I heard his car coming home. He always found a way of criticising and that made me feel worthless regardless of what I have done. He physically abused me and I did and got away with it because at that time there was no backup. I eventually left with the idea of ending my life but I went on to build a good life for myself. I didn't want much. I wanted peace and quiet. I wanted to contribute to others and Patricia, I have done that in spadefuls. It still upsets me though when I listen to interviews like this. But there is life after control. 
you can control your life. I have and I now love my life. I would prefer if you didn't call out my name. Thank you. What an honest, honest uh, email. Uh, summing up only too well what what course of control is and how damaging it can be. I'm so thrilled to see that you've got your life uh, back in order. Uh, long may you continue to lead that happy and peaceful life. 1850 333 103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council. Supporting businesses, supporting communities, serving Cork. Visit corkcoco.ie. The Cork ICA Federation meeting that's on at half past seven tonight in the Social Services Hall in uh, Mallow. While there will be a monster bingo tonight half past eight in the Parkway Hotel in Dunmanway with proceeds going to local charities. The 13th annual Cork City Marathon, Half Marathon and Team Relay is taking place on Sunday, the 2nd of June. There is This is internationally recognised with competitors from far and wide. You can register or get more information on www.corkcitymarathon.ie. And 96FM and C103 were proud media partners of this event. And Alzheimer Tea Day will be held tomorrow in the Daily Grind in Canturk. It coincides with Kevin Quaid's monthly afternoon tea from three to half past four and everyone is especially welcome if you have any concerns about dementia. And the monthly Mass in honour of St. Pio is on in St. Joseph's Church in Lismar. That's on tomorrow night, 1st of May at 8pm. All are welcome. Court today on C103. With Walker Hearing Clinic in the consultant's private clinic at CUH. Hearing care and wax removal. See walkerhearingclinic.ie Now tomorrow morning a protest organised by parents will be staged in Carrick Tool to highlight lack of school places in what is a rapidly expanding town. Uh, joining me is Lorraine O'Connell, one of the organisers of the protest tomorrow. Good morning or good afternoon to you, Lorraine. It's gone past 12. Good afternoon to you. Good afternoon, Patricia. Uh, Thanks very much for inviting us to speak this well, morning. We well, really appreciate it. Well, you're very welcome. Now, the background on this, how many schools do you currently have in the town? Right. Currently, we have um, three, po- three primary schools and we have two post-primary schools. Now, the three, so that's five altogether. So the current situation is with regard to three of these schools, two primary and one post-primary. Now, the history, a little bit of history, Patricia, is this, the first prefab was actually in the village, was put up in Sculver and Aphid just over 12 years ago. So this is going on quite a long time and we've been on the building list since 2012. And a prefab Um, is only ever meant to be a temporary solution. Well, exactly. So looking at this, we probably have prefabs for the last 13 years in the school in one way, shape or form. And you mentioned the increase in population here in the village. I mean, a number of years ago, Carrigtool was the fastest growing um, village in Ireland. So, I mean, we have um, probably just over 5,000 people. And I keep using the word village, but we're possibly not really even a village anymore, you know? Yeah. So at the moment, we are in a situation where we are uh, waiting for the third round of planning permission to be um, submitted to Cork County Council, um, having had the first two rescinded and, and revoked by planning department reason or another. And I suppose the second time it happened, it went up on the sec- 28th of March, Patricia, the second one. Yeah. And we found out then last weekend. Now, again, I'll mention... The, a person that found out, Patricia, was a parent. A parent who had been watching this plan permission uh, <laughs> very closely. A parent realised 
this planning permission had now been revoked. Nobody else spotted it. I mean, the department didn't spot it. I know it was over an Easter break, but still, the local councillors didn't spot it. Nobody spotted it, only a parent. And we decided then at that point... Enough is enough. Enough is enough. Because, I mean, you know, the the fact that the Department of Education is is putting in this application for a three-school campus, they are accepting that you need more schools in Carrickjewel. This need was identified, Patricia, back before 2012. This was a need for these schools were identified a long, long time ago. The, the three existing schools in the town at the time were Skullver and Afer, which at the time was an all-boys school, Skullclockover, which was an all-girls school, and you had St. Al's as the post-primary school. But the problem being with St. Al's could only accept girls. So we had no post-primary schools for any boy here in the village. They were all shipped out to Middleton or Glanmire or all the surrounding areas. And those areas all grew. So they were obviously going to have to restrict their intake as well. So it was getting increasingly um, difficult for children of the village, especially boys, to get post-primary places outside of the village. So this need has been identified a long, long time ago. Um, the you, say, you, say the tw- you say 2012. So those, the, the pupils who would have gone in there in first year, they're, they're either doing their leaving search or they're nearly, they're, they're gone. Absolutely. And it's Crazy. looking like three, when... Cork ETB came down a few years ago and they were going for patronage of the schools and they said, you know, look, bring us on. We'll say, we promise that we will have a school. 2019, it will be opened. So a lot of parents, Patricia, put their faith in, in the ETB at the time and said, look, we'll, we'll nail our, <laughs> our sail to the mast. We'll go with it. We'll, we'll take it on. Now those children are in third year, um, facing into a senior cycle of school in partly in prefabs at the very least. They are currently in um, an office building that has had change of use to an educational facility. You have another 90 pupils expected to come in in September. And again, applications for more prefabs. No school in sight. Um, the difficulty there is that if there's no space, their, their subject choices for senior cycle are going to be, re- you know, have mm. to be look at being reduced because they, they just can't offer what any other child, what, what you should be expected to be offer, offered. You have Skullver and Aoife. I mean, if you were to look at the photos of the back of the school, um, Patricia, this particular school, it's like Legoland. They're, they're just piled on top of each other. You have double porta cabins and prefabs now. You yeah, have and I had, I had a young student from a, a Mallow school only in lately talking about being educated in porta cabins. They are, have a tendency to be freezing in the winter and roasting in the summer. Like they're not uh, conducive to study. They're absolutely not. Porter cabins are not built for purpose. They are not long-term solutions. No, they never were. They never were. Not okay, tell me, tell me what your plan for tomorrow is then. Our plan tomorrow is last week, we, um, in a very short space of time, we garnered a bit of um, support. We called an emergency community meeting last Tuesday night and at short notice we had about 100 people in attendance and six local councillors attended. So we decided on the back of that meeting that we couldn't come out of there without a plan of action going forward. So we decided that we're just going to take to the streets here in Carrickool. Our first one is tomorrow. Um, we're calling out a Mayday Mayday, an urgent call for support for everybody. Um, School Development March is what we're calling it. We are going to assemble in the morning at 8am at Aldi here in Carrigtool and we will march up through the village and we will come down hopefully to the site and get the children to stand in front of their vacant site and just make a bit of noise really Patricia. Okay, all right. We'll wish you luck with it, uh, Lorraine and we'll stay in contact uh, with you. But thanks a million for joining us on the programme this morning. 
And Patricia, I, Patricia, I really appreciate your time and thanks for making the contact and to JP too. I appreciate okay. it. Okay, our Thank pleasure. You. Thanks for that, Lorraine. Bye-bye. 1850 Trish in Mallow has been on to say, is anybody experiencing delays in getting a doctor? She has a doctor who's based at one of the practices in the Mallow Primary Healthcare Centre and there are delays. She said she rings in the morning at 8am and they're full. They tell her to ring back again at 8am the next morning but again when she rings they're fully booked out. They'll say they contact her if there's a cancellation but there never is. The nearest date she can get now is Tuesday or Wednesday of next week. Anybody else having problems getting doctor's appointments? And you know something? I have a funny feeling we're going to be hearing a lot more situations like this. I mean, there's only so many appointments in the day at a doctor's surgery. We have doctors who are retiring. We have a huge problem with recruiting new doctors to go into general practice. We then had the decision by the government to give all under sixes, is it, a free GP card. People at the time said, what a fantastic idea for young families with children that they wouldn't have to pay to go to the doctor. But the worry is when they're free to the doctor, do they have a tendency to go more often than if they were paying 50 euro? And if that be the case, is that just going to fill up the doctor's uh, practices? So I, I imagine... I don't know what you're, what, who, who, I'm obviously not going to name which practice um, Trish is talking about, but I imagine that you are not on your own with that and you're not going to be on your own. I know I've got family living over in England and there's been a huge problem over there in trying to recruit uh, G, uh, GPs. And if, God, if unfortunately somebody is sick, they can have, there's five mobile phones with, you know, teenage girls in the house. Everybody is on a mobile phone dialing the same number and the phone lines open at eight in the morning and there's like a 20 minute opportunity. It's a first come, first served. If you manage to, somebody manages to connect and gets one of the appointments for that day, but come 20 past eight in the morning at that doctor's practice, if you don't get through, that's it. Sorry, all the appointments are gone. It's just, it's a crazy, crazy situation. And unf- and, I, and I know when I was hearing about this over the last number of years, I was saying, oh my God, please God, that would never happen in Ireland. But I do think... I actually do think we are getting very near to having a similar situation uh, here. And Anne in McCroom says, Patricia, could you ask your listeners, I still haven't heard anything about my old age pension. Are there other people out there still waiting to get their full pension? Yes, Anne, absolutely there are. I was only talking to John Paul about it. We were discussing it before we came on air uh, this morning. It's a very, very slow process. We had somebody last week or the week before we had somebody thrilled delighted they got the letter in the post to say they're getting the extra 30 euro a week the only thing I can say um, they will get to you eventually and uh, please God you will be lucky enough and that you because the majority of people are getting past the review and are getting the full amount the full 30 euro extra a week they backdate it and it gets backdated to March of 2018 so you will get what you are entitled to but you just have to take patience they drafted in extra staff to try and help with it but it's taking for it's just taking forever I think that's 90,000 pensioners and each individual pensioner has to have their case reviewed so it is a slow and it is tedious <sighs> Hopefully you won't have to wait much longer and and a texture on election posters. Election posters are banned within the 50 kilometre speed signs in most towns and villages, but it seems to be a free for all. So says a West Cork law abiding 
listener. I don't know if that's if others would agree with that. And there's a po- Poetry Day Ireland. An afternoon of readings and music will happen in Mallow Libraries this Thursday, 2nd of May, half past two in the afternoon and all are welcome. And don't forget, tonight is May Eve. If you are superstitious by nature, if you are a farm family, will you be going out shaking holy water in every corner of your field? Tonight is the night you're due to do it. The old customer of using holy water, it wards off bad luck and it protects against pishogs and it is on May Eve. I don't know if many farmers still do it or if householders still do it but just a gentle reminder that we are at, at May Eve today. This is the Court Today replay on C103. Joe Heffernan joins us on this Tuesday afternoon. Good afternoon, Joe. Good afternoon. And you are very welcome. Now, last week when I was off and John Paul was sitting in for me, we started a piece on irrational thoughts. Yeah. And uh, we went through the first four irrational thoughts. So we're going to to move it on um, onto the fifth irrational thought. And you're doing this, the irrational thought, and then a rebuttal for each one. Isn't that it? Okay. So where are we at? Yeah, well, no, uh, the fifth one was like that when one has a situation which is kind of scary or something is going badly, the irrational thought would be, are you should and can keep from worrying about it all the time? And um, the rebuttal then would be like that there's a huge difference between ruminating um, on um, awfulizing uh, kind of, oh, my God, all the time. Uh, and and uh, working out um, how can I prevent it, how can I minimise it, uh, and and all of that. Now, the worry part, anyway, the rumination uh, part, um, is isn't helpful at all. Isn't any good to us. It just gets us depressed, exhausted. Um, but the latter, then, um, you know, how can I how can I cope? Um, with 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 things as they are, um, uh, you know, and I I would be getting very hard life lessons in that, um, as would Mary at the moment. So like, um, um, outcomes. Um, I mean, uh, there's a thing of many of our fears, like uh, that we worry about, don't happen anywhere. But when a thing does happen, well then, um, one can hope for a desirable outcome. But that to spend one day, one's days like worrying, 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 I mean, that's just going to give us um, upset tummies and headaches and it isn't really going to do any good. So um, what I find anyway would be that just to live every day and um, uh, hopefully be engaged with work and um, and a bit of leisure and to live your life um, as best you can. And uh, try keep, try and keep yourself busy? Yeah. Yeah, distract yeah. distract yourself almost to stop yourself from thinking about whatever the situation is. I wouldn't is. think there's anything terribly wrong with yeah, that at all, I agree. Patricia. I agree, I agree. Um, yeah. It's easier for me to overlook or avoid thinking about a tense situation. Yeah, than to kind of face the, 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 the problem. Well, I mean, if you if it's one of the things that you can do something about, well, then um, procrastination, uh, putting the long finger, putting it uh, off until tomorrow, 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 um, if it's a task that we are not exactly delighted to be tackling, um, uh, that, that, that helps... <laughs> 
uh, it's like a lot of things. In the very short term, that's grand. I, I just, I don't bother. I won't do it today. Um, but, um, you know, it, it doesn't help in the long run. If there's something that you feel you can do that would be helpful to a situation, well then, to do it. Now, that could be anything from a phone call to, um, oh, I don't know, uh, taking the car in for a service or whatever. But, like, the kind of thing that if you put it on the long finger, it ain't going to get better of its own accord. So it would come under the heading of, like, um, uh, courage to change the things I can. Mm. Yeah. And just, yeah, don't don't avoid it. Um, I think, I think it was a Richard Branson once said that, you know, if ever he's got something that he's to do that he doesn't really like, I think the example he used was if he had to let somebody go for whatever reason, do it first thing in the morning yeah. rather than leave it to the end of the day because it's on your mind constantly. Whereas you face up, this has to be done. It's a job I don't like doing. It's an unpleasant task, but get it out of the way. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. Okay, number seven then. Um, I need someone, often a specific person, to be with and to lean on. Now, this one, I think a lot of people will identify with. It's almost becoming codependent on somebody, really. Um, totally. It's where you can't do something unless the other person is with you. That kind of thing. And uh, if it, no, it is nice to have someone in one's life. It is great. And um, someone that you can depend on. And... Um, you know, that that's a great companion in life. That's wonderful. But if you uh, get to a stage like where, as you say, that you, you know, uh, you you become over-dependent on a person, um, uh, well, then that's not good. I mean, uh, there are things we can do on our own that we should do on our own and that we need to do on our own. But... Um, uh, we we it can't be like you say. I I I, you know, it is nearly I can't go to the supermarket like unless he or she is with me, and um and that's not good. That's over reliance. And and it isn't healthy for a relationship to be to be that dependent on someone. No, it isn't. And you'd often hear about a couple like that they're joined at the hip. If you see one, you see the other. But like that's actually not um wonderful. Uh, it's not great because um. I remember reading a thing, I have it somewhere there by John Gottman, about um, that as each individual pursues one, his, his or her own uh, hobbies, pursuits, interests in life, that that's actually better for the relationship as against um, if the other person isn't doing it as well, then I won't do it. So, yeah, yeah to be able to, um, as it were... Uh, have one's own interests etc and to encourage it in the other person Okay the next one is another one I think people will, will identify with things have been this way for so long sure I can't do anything about these problems now yeah. it's been going on too yeah. long Yeah well I mean again we're into that serenity philosophy agreed you can't change the past but you can learn from it and you can make changes in yourself Um uh, you know the old saying you can't teach an old dog new tricks I wouldn't agree with that at all mm. you can and also old dogs we can learn new tricks and we need to learn new tricks in how to cope with A, B, C and D and um, so yeah um, uh, 
this is the way it is and there's nothing I can do about it is not correct at all. That we can. We can make changes. I mean, some people would say that you're learning up to the day you die. Yeah, and over the years I would have met many lovely uh, people who, for whatever reason, went through the school system and just didn't pick up the skill of, of reading and writing. And for some they went into their 50s, 60s. I think the oldest gentleman I ever spoke with was a a man who was in his 70s when he finally admitted that he needed help with with literacy skills and one of the greatest things he ever did was to learn to read read and write. But he would have, but for people like that, for many years they would have been believing, oh, it's too late to do anything, it's too late. It's never too late to do anything. No, no. When I was doing student counselling in UCC, um, there was a lady come in to me and... um, you know, she she wanted to talk about this or that. And um, uh, she had lived very near UCC and um, had always harboured a wish to actually be a student in UCC. And she did well in done. her 60s. Well done. Well yeah. done. Isn't that fantastic? Yeah, started off in her 60s. Okay, number nine is when my close friends and relatives have serious problems, it's only right natural that I get very upset too. Yeah, and it's the last bit. I mean, one can be concerned, but I mean, uh, if 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 you someone as it were panicking, um, it isn't going to do much good for the situation if you join in and panic as well. So there's, um, uh, it is granted, it is perfect and lovely to be concerned, to be sympathetic, to be helpful. Um, uh, but if you become uh, just as upset as the other person, um, well, then, you know, you're not going to be of much help. Again, we're back to our old aeroplane analogy. Um, When the thing comes down in an emergency, put on your own first and then deal with any child or uh, dependent person who's with you. So that, like, uh, and there are things as well where, uh, you know, sometimes, uh, say, adult children, that... You know, you can't be there all the time. They don't want it anyway. And you can solve their problems for them. That it can be much more beneficial and educational that um, that they will find their own solutions. Um, but just being there, I think, is very important for people. Like if you visit someone who's very ill, um, you're not going to cure them. You're not going to uh, change that aspect of life, but maybe to just be there. You're there to support them. And yeah. then the final one is, I don't like the way I'm feeling, but I can't help it. I just have to accept it and go with my feelings. Yeah, well, that's kind of victim mode then. Yeah. What's the point of Poor me doing me. anything because sure, I can't change anyway? You you were going to say it? Yeah, I was saying, poor me. You, 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 you play the that victim, play the thing. martyr. That kind of thing. And like, there's no, there's no advantage. There's no, uh, that that's not good. Uh, I often talk about the, the the critic, the perfectionist, the warrior, and the victim. And I always say, no, we got to avoid that other one, the victim, because that's like, what's the point in trying? Because I never succeed anyway, and it's no good. So, what we need to be is, I often talk about I over E, which is intellect over emotion. In other words, um, uh, to to think rationally about what can I do with this. Now, if it's E over I, emotion over intellect, well then, as I'd often say, uh, that means you've lost the head. Um, uh, what one has to do is kind of think it through and say, what is one thing now that I could do 
that in this situation would be helpful. Yeah, yeah, I can change it. Okay, we have to leave it there. Listen, have a great week and we'll talk and to you again next week. That's uh, Joe Heffernan who runs a counselling practice in Bohabwe 029 Before we go, I, I don't want to at the moment pass without quickly playing a piece of this. It was 25 years ago tonight that we first saw this. What a fantastic show, Riverdance, 25 years ago tonight. That's where I leave you for today. Uh, thanks to John Paul. Talk tomorrow. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.